ओम सम सरस्वती नमः नमस्ते On page 103 of the book called Srima the Guru and the Goddess we'll talk about the Guru and the, uh, the Guru Gita and we remember Gu means darkness and Ru means light and Guru is the light in my darkness and Gita means a song and the song of the light in my darkness is the Guru Gita And you know I had a couple of these books laying around there was the Kashyap Sutras and there was the Guru Gita and there was the Lalita Trishati and I said wow those that's not fair to put each one of those as a separate book let's bundle this together and we'll put them all together as one book and that'll make it easier to publish and easier to distribute and easier on the pocketbook of those who are going to uh, pay for all the expenses so uh, that's how we got the book the guru that's the guru gita and the goddess that's lolita trishati and uh, shrima is the lady who's referred to in the kashyap sutras so shrima The Kashyap Sutra. Oh, after Guru Gita. Oh my goodness, we're going in directions we had never contemplated to go. Let's begin with the introduction. For every desire which an individual pursues, there is someone to demonstrate the means of its attainment. In Sanskrit this is called the guru. Whatever you need, whatever you desire, whatever laksha, whatever goal you choose, there's going to be someone to show you how to do it. And that's the guru. Every time an individual becomes inspired to take a new course of action, the example who conveyed that inspiration is a guru. Gurus are examples which instruct, inspire, somehow cause us to change the objectives we pursue and or the paths to their attainment. The word has been efficiently absorbed into the English language just like all the other words that we adopt. And according to its ever expanding nature, And now it is common to hear of technology gurus and Wall Street gurus, all manner of specialization. Even the lead carpenter on a construction crew may be referred to as the guru by his apprentices. However, in Sanskrit literature, the position of the guru was regarded with considerably greater respect. I know you want to respect the foreman on the construction crew and you want to respect the guru who's going to advise you how to invest your finances but the most important guru is the one who's going to show you how to become one with the guru and one with God and that guru conveys to us a, an example which we choose to reflect and adapt and inculcate in our own lives. The ancient rishis actually limit, maintain limited desires primarily three. Dharma, to attain an ideal of perfection. Art, to procure that amount of material necessary 
to attain that ideal, we need some resources, something. We'll need the rent, we'll need some food, we'll need some clothes, we'll need something in order to pursue our ideals, our goals. And come to become free from all desires. And that means any other desire other than my goal is a distraction. And I want to become free from every desire other than the desire to be one with the gurus and one with the goddess. And the perfection of these three is called moksha, which is liberation otherwise known as self-realization. For beings of such limited desires, the guru is the example which inspires and instructs in the course of union with God. It is in accordance with this ideal of perfection that the guru Gita calls the guru the supreme divinity. He's going to, she's going to exemplify to us divinity manifest in a body. The embodiment of divinity. How do you come closer and closer and closer to that divine essence, to radiating, reflecting, uh, exemplifying that divine essence in every action we perform? It is the, the, the guru is called the supreme divinity. She manifests the goal. She demonstrates the path. She illuminates the darkness and thereby she becomes the purest reflection of one's highest aspirations. Throughout the scripture we find an admonition to perform seva to the guru, selfless service as an expression of love. Seva, it's the opportunity, the privilege to do something, to demonstrate the sincerity and the intensity of our love. Seva is different from work in that the performer feels privileged to demonstrate the intensity of love by performing an action, while a worker maintains some expectation to receive in return. There are three forms of seva. The lowest form is when our respected person asks us, the guru comes and says, hey, would you do this for me? The middle form is when we divide areas of responsibility and we discharge our duties with an attitude of love. If you shine the brass and copper, I'll sort the flowers. If you do the dishes, I'll do the pots and pans. Somehow we divide responsibilities and this is the middle kind of seva. The highest seva is when we see an opportunity to disturb our class and we come in boldly without any consideration for anyone else and make our presence known. The highest seva is when we see an opportunity to demonstrate our love and without being told or asked, we go out of our way to add value to another's life. It's important to distinguish between seva and karma yoga. The word yoga is defined as chitta vritti nirodh. 
the cessation or prohibition of any change or modification in the objects of consciousness. Any action which induces a state of pure absorption in consciousness is termed karma yoga. If you come into yoga by means of karma, you're doing karma yoga. That means there's no duality. There's only unity. Traditionally, the Vedas contain two parts, Ganakand and the Karmakand. Ganakand are the proscriptions of wisdom, the proclamations of the soul's inherent union with divinity. The Karmakand are the practices by which that realization may be attained. They are specifically addressed as Siddhantacha, the behaviors enjoined by scripture, which fall into seven categories. Worship, recitation of scriptures, sacred fire ceremonies, music, dance, philosophical discourse, and offering. These seven kinds of actions have the capacity to stop the modifications of the objects of consciousness. We can come into yoga, into union, because of performing behaviors enjoined by scripture. Therefore, these actions may be termed karma yoga. Puja, pat, homa, sangeet, nirit, pravachan, and arpana. These seven are the forms of karma yoga. They're different from seva. Through seva to the guru, the selfless service as an expression of love, we earn the privilege of learning and practicing more of karma yoga. And when our fickle minds stop creating modifications of the objects of consciousness, then we too realize the soul's inherent unity with divinity. We become the guru. We become the supreme divinity. The principle of guru is what has taken us along the path. That is why the guru is Brahma. The guru is Vishnu. The guru is the Deva Maheshwara. Lord Maheshwara, the guru is Sakshat. Param Brahma, the guru is actually the supreme divinity. And Tashmi, and therefore, we bow down to the respected guru. Through all the teachers, all the guides, inspirations, examples of every realm of heaven and earth, the principle of guru is what has shown forth. The guru is actually the supreme divinity, and all other expressions were links in the chain which brought us to that realization. All the teachers, all the examples, all the inspirations, they brought us to the guru. And the guru brought us to the bigger guru. And the bigger guru brought us to the Patan guru. And the Patan guru brought us to the Paramishti guru. And the guru of all the gurus is Lord Shiva. And then we became one with the guru and one with the goddess. And all the links in the chain are worthy of our respect because they brought us that realization of supreme divinity. Is it possible to have a confusion of loyalties to the guru? 
Certainly not. You don't have confusion when you're in love. It's a love affair. How can you have confusion? If the guru is actually the supreme divinity, then all expressions of that divinity must be respected, whereas my allegiance must be towards God. The highest respect that I can show to my grade school teacher is to pass high school. And the highest respect that I can show to my high school teacher is to pass college. And that means that I paid attention. I utilized their teachings. The highest respect that anyone can show to any guru is to become one with God. That doesn't mean I'm abandoning my guru. Rather, I am becoming her. Therefore, I must gather inspiration from wherever possible, from Brahma, from Vishnu, from the Lord Maheshwar, from all sources possible. This does not show disrespect. Rather, it is the path she took. It is the path that I must take to become like her. There are only two types of individuals who would not want us to explore elsewhere. A businessman who has no love of the competition and a fool who says, I know enough. But until we actually reach that ultimate realization of supreme divinity, neither reason should preclude our search. Get blessings everywhere possible and learn to give them wherever you go. That is what a guru does. I must speak for a moment about gender. Guru is both masculine and feminine. However, because of tradition and the nature of Sanskrit language used in the Skanda Purana, most of the accompanying grammar used the masculine forms, and for convenience and accuracy I followed the original text. Please do not feel me prejudiced because I speak of the guru as he. I was trying to maintain accuracy in the translation. My own guru happens to be a woman, Srima of Kamakya. And I'm sure beyond a doubt that the text is just as applicable to women as it is to men. Has nothing to do with gender. Also, Srima was concerned about the interpretation of such statements as in verse 29. Offer your body, senses, life itself to the true teachers. It does not necessarily mean to become an object of sexual enjoyment. Please use your discrimination. The real guru is beyond gender. The guru is beyond form. The guru is supreme divinity. That guru is in your heart, in the hearts of all living beings, and I pray that this offering brings the radiance of that illumination to greater enhancement. Namaste. I wonder when that was written. Let's take a look here at the title page. I know the book was published in 1995, so that must have been written, oh, about 
91 or 92, something like that. Okay, well, let's see if there are any questions about what the Guru Gita is about. Uh, oh, let's see if there are any questions. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti in Seattle. Yes, Namaste Sadhana Shakti. Pranamman Swamiji, in the introduction you mentioned any action which induces a state of pure absorption in consciousness is karma yoga. Can you can this happen at our place of employment? Absolutely yes. Absolutely. Whatever you do with one-pointed attention, if you exclude delusion and you become united with the action, if you focus your attention to the exclusion of all duality, you become one with what you're doing, you become one with the guru, you become one with the goddess, you become one with the illumination of light in your darkness, and the excitement of uniting through action is just as vivid an experience. It's a spiritual experience, just as intense and as important as sitting with your eyes closed in front of an altar of God. The object is not to see God with your eyes closed. The object is to see God all the time in everything that you do. And to have that energy, that vitality, that stamina, that, uh, that expresses itself through concerted action. What you do, you do with attentiveness, you do with joy, you do with a sense of an intensity, like you have a bhavana, an intensity of reality that it's really real to you. And no one can discount that kind of experience that is spiritual experience. You are making love by means of the computer or by means of your study or by means of your knowledge, by means of your action. It's a love affair and you are dancing with the Supreme. No one can discredit such an experience. It's the intensity of your reality and no one else has capacity to measure that intensity but you. So definitely, you can attain that experience through work or through any action that you perform. Chopping wood, carrying water, there are wonderful ways to express the love of God. Yes, Bish? I have the same exact question. Well, the, I have the same exact answer. Yes, you can. Yes, we can. We are all capable of experiencing that love affair in the moment. Whenever we're doing what we're doing, if you're doing it for money, you even forget about the money, you forget about the people for whom you're doing it. You want to do the best job you possibly can because you're in love. You're doing it for the guru, you're not doing it for the customer, you're not doing it for the money, you're not doing it for the salary that you get, you're just doing it because you want it to be the best. You focus on the action and you become submerged in the action, become absorbed by the action, and you become totally attentive in the moment. And you achieve that satori, that samadhi, that, that state of communion where there is only one, you, and the action. 
And it is a state of Satchitananda. I'll bet you there are many times, Sadhana, there are many, many times you look up from your task, whatever it is that you're doing, and you didn't realize the amount of time that passed. You weren't paying attention. You're not a clock watcher, I know, but you weren't paying attention to the time. You weren't paying attention to the circumstance or the environment or what was going on around you. You were just so focused on the action that it became an expression of divinity to you. In these ways, we experience that samadhi many times during the day. But usually it's so brief and so fleeting that we don't even recognize it. We just go on to the next task. Okay, check that one off. <laughs> Let's go on to the next task. Whereas if we sat, took a deep breath, and rejoiced in that state of consciousness while we were doing and while we we're completing and we're celebrating the fulfillment of that action, that chitta vritti nirodh, the cessation, the prohibition of all changes and modifications in the objects of awareness. We just relish the moment. Then it lasts a little longer and a little longer and a little longer until it becomes recognizable, discernible, understandable. We understand what it means to go into that state of absorption. Yes, you can do it through your work. You can do it through your play. You can do it through your sports. You can, what was that? The Zen of motorcycle maintenance. Uh, uh, there, you can do it by wrenching on a motorcycle. You can do it through many, many, many things. It, there are no limits to the amount of activities which can produce to us that state of fulfillment. Yes, please, Shivani. Question from Nanda in Wisconsin. Namaste, Nanda Ma. Why is there only a Guru Gita and not a Disciple Gita? The disciple in Sanskrit means a shisha. And the shisha means a mirror. And in singing the song of the guru, we disciples automatically try to make ourselves into the mirror image of the guru. So we try to make our behavior conform to the comportment of our guru, the softness and gentility, the grace with which he doesn't create any disturbance in the vibration that she enters. She just moves into the environment so silently and her presence is palpable. She doesn't have to come in like a bull in the china shop and, and demand that everyone pay attention to me. She comes in very softly and gracefully and enters into the environment so, so, so quietly. We say that the grass bows down when she steps on it. With that kind of gentility, with that kind of grace, she moves into the environment and she works her magic. And that's why she's the guru to us. So in the same way, we become disciples to that guru. We don't just march in and say, I'm going to maintain my attitude. No matter what you're doing, everyone will stop and pay attention to me because I am the most important person in my life. 
And therefore, by extension, by extension, I am the most important person in your life. Stop what you're doing and pay attention to me. All of us are demanding recognition. And as we become greater and greater disciples, we make ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller until we disappear. And that's the disciple Gita. I am not here. Next question. Question from Ambika in Princeton. Namaste, Ambika Ma. On page 134, it states, get blessings everywhere possible and learn to give them wherever you go. That is what a guru does. Is this suggesting that we get and give blessings or the guru only gives blessings? What is the best blessing for us to offer to someone? Well, the best blessing that you could offer or that all of us could offer as disciples is a reflection of the guru. And gurus do. They take blessings wherever they go and they give blessings wherever they go and they give whatever blessing is needed in the circumstance they visit. So when we move into any environment, we just soak up the vibrations of that environment, Ambika, and we decide what is the blessing that would be most befitting in this circumstance, these individuals, what do they need the most? What could I possibly give them? Could I give them the blessing or my presence, which is so small and so, <laughs> so quiet, so soft and so silent that they would have to long to witness me or to observe me and they'll come closer and closer of their own accord? Or should I walk into the environment and raise my hands and say I give you blessings? Well, you'll determine for yourself, Ambika. In every circumstance, there's a different bhavana that's, in, that's required, a different blessing that's required. And sometimes we need the blessing of peace. Sometimes we need the blessing of inspiration. Sometimes we need the blessing of information. Sometimes we need an example of how to get off our butts and get something done. It always changes. So you'll learn that you can take the blessing wherever you go. And then you give the blessing wherever you go. And the blessing is, is unique to every environment. And sometimes you'll give the blessing in, a, in, a, in language. And sometimes you'll give the blessing in nonverbal language. Sometimes it'll be in silence. But wherever you go, you want to leave them with a blessing. Whether they know it or not they will feel blessed. Question from Elijah in Seattle. Namaste, Elijah Baba. Pranam Man Swamiji. How does one come to find their guru? How does one come to... To find their guru. Elijah, it's the same in every love affair. You know when you're in love. 
You know when someone is exemplifying an attitude or an, an, uh, a, a capacity that you want to exemplify. You know when you found the example that you want. You know it's a priori knowledge. You don't have to logically deduce. You can feel in your heart that that's, those are the beings I want to be like. Those are the people I want to be around. That's the way I want to make my life. That's the standard, the style, the bobbin, the feeling, the attitude, the energy. That's for me. You know it. It's not a question, oh, well, I see a long line of people in front of that guru, so I'm going to go stand in line. Don't join the herd mentality. It's your life. Don't collect diksha, I'm going to get the blessing, I'm going to get initiation from this guru and that guru, and then I'll be the, the, I'll have a collection of all the initiations that are available. That's spiritual materialism. You become a collector. Look at my collection. Uh, I can show you in my stamp book. <laughs> you can see all the stamps I collected. In the same way, I can show you my collection of initiations and how many gurus I visited. So what? How much did you change your life because of those relationships? That will be the key to your success. So you'll feel when you're in love. And then you'll make yourself a commitment that I'm going to work on myself until I become a reflection of my beloved. I want to reflect her attitudes entirely. Now to the extent that I'm capable, I'm going to keep working on me and keep trying to become the best I can so that I feel and I really experience the joy with which she shares, the, the, the attentiveness with which she performs, the concern with which she takes care of all she takes care of. I will want to make me into that reflection, Elijah. That will be something, it's a natural, Aristotle called it ontology. It's a natural evolution. We evolve in the direction of manifesting the perfection of our inspiration. There's an inner urge to become just like the iron is drawn to the magnet in the same way a disciple is born to the guru. It's drawn to the guru. You've got to go. You got to, there's no way you can resist. I first met my guru in Vrindavan. And I met a young man walking along the road. He said, I, do you speak English? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Dharmshala. He said, that's strange. All the foreigners who come to this town go to the hotel. And all the pilgrims go to a Dharmshala. I said, well, I want to go to the Dharmshala. He said, well, I can walk with you and I'll show you where the Dharmshala is. I said, that's wonderful. So we walked away and we were gossiping along the way. And he said, would you like to meet uncle? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Who's your uncle? He said, well, we call him uncle because he's, he's guru and he's like an uncle to all of us. And I said, sure, I'd like to meet Uncle. Uh, 
just twist my arm a little bit until I call uncle. <laughs> so it, he said, I'll come and get you tomorrow morning. Well, the next morning I got up and I took a bath and I put on some clean clothes and I waited for Shomath to come and lead me to uncle. And we, uncle lived in the Shuk. Uh, it was a the old city where you couldn't get a card through the lanes, you could only walk. And they, they were all windy paths and there was nothing straight lines and there were no street signs and there was no way, you'd be like Hansel and Gretel trying to leave breadcrumbs through the forest. Well, I went to see Uncle and I got there in the morning and we just hit it off beautifully. And we talked the entire day. And I didn't even notice the passage of time. He said, well, you know what? It's, it's about 9 o'clock at night, and they're going to close the gate of the ashram, and uh, I'm sending someone to take you to the road, and that will get you back to your dharmshala, uh, and you can come to see me again. I didn't realize that the day had passed. So I went home and I went to sleep and I got up the next morning and my feet knew the way. I didn't have a map, I didn't have a street sign, I didn't have any directions, I didn't have an address. I, my feet knew the way. I just went down the, these little footpaths winding through the old city and these old brick buildings stone upon stone with a little bit of mud in between them and I, I, they, they were made out of uh, these uh, little thin bricks uh, with no mortar they just had mud and brick uh, and my feet knew the way and I was just drawn to go to that ashram and I found it immediately well within half an hour that was immediate, you know, it was a long way away. It was, uh, yeah, the Dharmshala was on the, in the bazaar and, the, and near the temple, and he was in the shuk, where the, the, the windy footpaths lead between the buildings. Just like all the old cities of Benares and, and uh, Ayutthaya, uh, even in the old city in Mathura. It, you, you find that there's these windy paths with the old buildings and they had, they had no concept that you would get a car in there and so they didn't have any zoning regulations, they didn't have any city plan or somebody just built their building and, and the paths wound through the and my feet knew the way. And Elijah, when you meet your guru, your feet will know the way. And you will be drawn like a magnet pulling a piece of iron just to come closer and closer and cultivate that love affair. You'll, it's a natural evolution. There won't be any effort on your part. There is no strain and no effort. It's like the greatest privilege I can possibly do to make love to you by keeping my knees on the floor. It's the greatest thing I could possibly do to demonstrate to you my love by putting myself in the context of your environment and conforming my behavior to what is appropriate for you. Not demanding that you conform to me. No, 
In this way, it becomes totally a natural evolution, Elijah. You just become a piece of metal pulled by a magnet. And you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into the love affair until all you can think of is, what did she study? What did she read? What did she practice? What did she do to learn how to live life like that? Whatever it was, I want to look at it and do the same that for my, myself so that as close as I can possibly come, I want to become more and more like my guru. Next question. Question from Vivekananda in Seattle. Namaste, Vivek. Namaste, Mahan Swami. People always talk about the true guru being inside, but I feel that this is incorrect. What is this barrier that decides what is inside and what is outside? It seems to be referring to the individual or the body, and this cannot be correct. Can you explain what is meant by the guru inside and the guru outside? Yes, I can. The guru inside is your ultimate realization of the highest guru from the point of view of Vedanta. When you reach to the understanding of Vedanta, where I am God, Aham Brahmashmi, Shiva I am the one that I've been searching for. I am the Atma, I am the Paramatma, I am the Supreme Divinity, the guru is inside. But until we reach that realization, talk is cheap. It's real easy to say, oh, I'm the guru, the guru's inside, I'll just follow what I want to do. So the famous story from Chandogya Upanishad is that uh, 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 Mohishashur and Brihaspati both went to see the guru. They went to Shiva. And they said, Shiva, tell us about the guru. And they both went, I'm sorry, it was Indra, it was Indra Mahishashura. And they both went to Brihaspati. And they asked Brihaspati, what, what, tell us about the guru. And Brihaspati said, go to the pond and look in the water. And what you see, that's the guru. So uh, Indra and, and Brihashura. They both went down to the pond and they looked in the pond and they saw a reflection of their own countenance. And Vritrashur said, well, I am the guru. I am God. Look at, look, what, what do you see in the, in the reflection in the pond? This body must be the, the, the divine. Uh, and they both said, well, that's wonderful knowledge. I'm so glad to know that. And they went home. And Britta Ashura said, he went back to the Ashuras and he said, Ashuras, I just came from Brihaspati. I got the supreme knowledge. He told me to look in the pond and what I see is the real guru. And I saw myself <laughs> and I am the guru. And that means if you want to please the guru, please your own selves. And you know that when your senses are pleased, you are pleased. 
So therefore, if you want to please yourself, please your senses, enjoy your life, and make yourselves happy, and you will live the divine life. Indra started going back to heaven, and he said, wait a minute. If this body is the guru, and this body is the divinity, then when this body is happy, I'm happy. When this body is diseased, I'm pained. When this body is old and decrepit, I'm old and decrepit. That can't be the eternal guru. <laughs> there must be something more. So Indra went back to Brihaspati. He said, Brihaspati, please tell me, what is the self? What is the guru? What is God? And Brihaspati said, go look in the pond. And what you see in the pond, that's the guru. So Indra went back to the pond and he looked in the pond and he looked and he saw himself. And then he saw that he was the seer of what the self is. He was looking into the pond. And he said, oh, well maybe this soul is the guru. This soul is the seer within the body. This soul is divine. This soul is one with God. So maybe when the soul is, the soul is always happy, the soul is Satchidananda. Well, he took this knowledge and he started going home. And he said, wait a minute. Now sometimes this soul reflects the mind. This mind is always changing. So the soul always appears to be changing. That can't be the answer. So he went back to Brihaspati. And he said, Guruji, would you please tell me the true definitive answer? What is the infinite divinity? What is the supreme guru? What does it mean to be one with God? And Brihaspati said, go look in the pond. Well, Indra went back to look at the pond. And he looked in the pond, and he saw the pond was reflecting to him whatever it was he wanted to see. <laughs> that is, the pond was the ocean of consciousness. It was infinite consciousness. It wasn't individual consciousness. It wasn't the body. It wasn't the mind. The the pond was the reflector. And whatever he held up in the as a reflection in the pond, the pond reflected it back to him. Then he understood. Infinite consciousness is the supreme divinity. The pure reflector is the supreme divinity. Not the individual soul, not the mind, not the body, not the pleasures and pains of the body. And Indra took that knowledge back to heaven and they enlightened all the sadhus to pursue the knowledge of pure consciousness. Vivek, and I use that term literally, Vivekananda, you are the bliss of discrimination. And you will have the same discrimination as did Indra when he understood that the reflecting pool of infinite consciousness is 
the supreme divinity. It is the guru. Question from Pushpa and San Ramon. Namaste, Pushpa Ma. Sometimes at work, when an employee is acting mindless, I get angry and I want to blow up at them. How do we keep calm and gentle like Sri Ma? Oh. <laughs> we need to make for ourselves signals. Just like Sri Ma always maintains that placid divinity, that shanti. She maintains her equilibrium and her center in every circumstance. In the same way we want to make signals for ourselves, wait, I'm about to get out of balance. <laughs> Please, recognize, I'm about to get out of balance. Now, what's the most important thing that I can do in such a circumstance? Stop. I don't need to be right. I don't need the project done correctly. The most important thing that I can do is maintain my balance and my center. Now, can I make a signal for myself? Self, remember your primary goal. You'll remember your laksh. Your laksha, your primary goal, the objective of our being here manifest in a human body is, is not to work for the corporation and not to work for the man and not to be a, 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 a servant of the, the, uh, of the corporation. Not to be right and not to be a supervisor and not to... My primary objective is to become the disciple, the reflection of the pure example of my guru, who maintains her center. She remains in love. So she, the main thing that we can do is remembrance, Pushpa. That's what we have to do is remember. Okay, now, here I am. I've been dealt this hand. I didn't ask to be here, but I am here now. These are the cards that have fallen to me. How do I play them? I want to maintain my center. That's the goal. And as long as I can maintain my center, my equilibrium, all the jobs will get done around me. All the tasks will be performed. You can't help but to perform them. But with love, with generosity, you will be able to explain to whoever it is that's doing an inept job, of, you'll be able to explain to them that their ineptness isn't going to keep them employed. If they don't become more efficient, they will be unemployed. But you can do it easily and gently and with love. It's not about being out of harmony. It's about bringing them into your harmony. Yes, please. We have a question from Nanda in Wisconsin. Yes, Nanda Ma. Dear Ma and Swamiji, Pranam, can you tell us what you are looking for as the right qualities in your potential disciple and how long will you wait until you initiate someone as your disciple? Thank you. We will not initiate anyone. You will initiate yourselves. 
That's our sankalpa. We are not trying to make disciples. We are allowing those who choose to follow our path, if they choose. And if they don't, we give them blessings and go follow any path you want. We give you freedom. We give you empowerment. We give you all the, just like our website is designed to empower as many people as want to go take the journey. I'm not demanding any allegiance to us. By a far stretch of imagination, I don't want your karma. I got enough to deal with it with my own karma. You will choose yourselves whether you want to call yourselves disciples or if you're just casual devotees who come and bow down and go home and do whatever you want. That's your choice. Each of you is empowered to make that choice. We don't initiate anyone. But you can take initiation. You can take initiation by making yourselves into disciples. You can take initiation by making yourselves into a reflection of the qualities which you appreciate in mom. Now that makes sense. You'll make yourselves disciples. We won't make disciples. We won't say, okay, sign on the dotted line, you've been initiated by us. It's not our way. Ramakrishna did not initiate anyone. Trilinga Swami did not initiate anyone. Shankaracharya initiated four people. They took their own initiations. They made themselves into the reflection of the Guru. And they considered him the Guru. Vivekananda considered Ramakrishna the Guru and he took initiation from Ramakrishna. He put the picture of Ramakrishna on the altar. They did puja to Ramakrishna and they all took Gerua cloth and they took the vows of sannyas. Ramakrishna didn't say, I'm making you guys sannyasis. Who can do that? You have to make yourselves sannyasis. No one can do it for you. No one can take that responsibility and no one can give you the mantra that's going to change your life. Girish Ghosh went to uh, Ramakrishna. He said, Ramakrishna, I want the mantra that you gave to Narayan. You gave Vivekananda mantra, he went into Samadhi for three days. I want the same kind of initiation. Ramakrishna said, uh, first you become Vivekananda. <laughs> then I'll give you the mantra. We don't give initiations. You will take initiation when you're ready as you become ready. You make yourselves into disciples if you feel that we are the gurus for you. If you feel that this is the path for you. If you feel that what we do has value in your lives, then you'll take that teaching. Oh, it, it, it's not something that's given. Students learn from the teachers. They inculcate the examples of the teachers. 
They, they don't say, it's not a college or a high school where you go to the class and you, you say, open wide, uh, and you shovel down the knowledge down their throat so they can regurgitate it on a test. Life is your test. I don't give an examination. Life is your examination. I can tell who's following what I'm teaching, who's following what I'm talking about, who's studying the material that I can see by the questions people ask, who's, who's making themselves into a disciple and who's just wasting time. Very, very clear. It's up to each and every one of you to create your own bhavana, your own vibration, your own spandana your own way of, of inculcating the teachings and examples of your guru into your own lives. And then you'll know that you've got initiation. You'll know when it's necessary to say the words, I do. Mostly we get married and then we have a ceremony. It's not like we get a ceremony and then we get married. Mostly we make up the marriage is here and the ceremony is a confirmation of what's here. Well, we're pretty much the same way. If you don't have the bhavana here, then what is the ceremony about? I've seen ashrams that an ashram gives an initiation. Ramakrishna Mission will go and give 500 initiations in one night from the Ramakrishna mission. Who's your guru? Well, the guy who gave me the mantra is the guru. What's his name? The president of the Ramakrishna Mott. They can't even tell you the name of the guru or the example that he's putting forth. Many people stand in line for hours and, and they get an initiation. They don't know what it means or they don't know the rishi or the chanda or the meaning or the mantra or the bhavana. So it's impossible to apply that knowledge. So Nanda, we won't give initiation. You, you will take initiation from us if you choose. And if you choose to take it elsewhere, that's fine with us too. We give blessings. We're not in business. And we're not selling mantras. And we're not trying to sign up the most amount of people so we can say, look at all my disciples. Gosh, no. That's a, we're not in a quantity game. We're looking for a few sincere, dedicated, devoted, People who want to work with our examples, with what we did with our lives, who understand that the highest attainment of the guru is the starting place of the disciple. They have that understanding and they have that bhavana, so they go to try to, to replicate the attitudes of the guru in their own lives. They take the attitudes, the vibrations, the bhavana, the feeling, the intensity, the, the focus, the energy, all of it. All, it's holistic spiritual experience. You don't just take a mantra, oh, I got initiated, well, I'm going to go on to that guru and see what their initiation is like. That's spiritual promiscuity. 
digging many shallow wells. But I want to find for us those people who embody our teachings and live our bhavana, live our teaching, live our intensity, live by the, the attitudes that we are demonstrating in our own lives. I think those are the qualities and the characteristics of a disciple of, of the Devi Bandir family. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha Namaste.